Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News Preview Show. I'm your host, Lewis McParlin, and in this episode, we'll be reviewing five of the European matches that included French teams the week gone by. We'll also take a look ahead to a few of the matches to be played this weekend, beginning the 20th of September 2019 in Ligue 1. Today, as ever, I'm joined by GFFN's favourite Anjay fan, Thomas Wiseman. Now, Thomas, it's quite depressing watching all this Champions League and Europa League football when your team isn't involved, isn't it? Uh, yes, yeah, slightly, but I'd rather have us uh, playing just uh, one game. I can handle one game a, a week, not, not two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm also joined once again by Jake Smales, who will be coming on the show for the third week in a row. Now, Jake, Kuvi, Rouen weren't in Europe this week, but your local side Chelsea were. What are your quick opinions on their chances in the tournament this year? Oh, God. Well, uh, slimmer than slimmer than uh, than before the game. Um, I think getting out of the group stage is 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 the aim for now, and then just kind of seeing seeing where we can go. We're a young side. Um, when we've got we've got missing a lot of good players with injuries, so the sky is hopefully the limit. But we'll have to wait and see for now. I um I think uh, yeah, second place in the group is what we've got to be aiming for for now. I th- I think I just heard something smash outside my window, and I think it's Barkley's penalty just hitting the ground. Oh. Uh, so I'll go and get that after. Oh, <laughs> my third and final guest for this episode is Adrian Drill, who will be making his first appearance of the season on the show. Now, I've been assured that Adrian is a real PSG fan, not just someone who started supporting them in 2011. Is that right, Adrian? You want to prove, you want to prove that I'm... Prove ready? it, prove it. My first ever game at the Parc des Princes was uh, in uh, 2007, was PSG against Saint-Etienne. And um, you, could, you will maybe be able to find this video online, but I witnessed... A wonder goal scored by uh, a Brazilian called Ilan, and uh, it was like an overhead kick in the in the top bin of uh, Landro's goal. So yeah, very strange first experience at the Bar de France. But that's enough of a justification that I needed. <laughs> I'll ask for photos after the after the episode. <laughs> Great. Now let's recap some of the football. Last week, Lille bounced back from defeat to beat Angers 2-1 at home. Victor Asimhen added yet another goal to his tally, but the young Nigerian was probably someone that Ren would have liked as they ran out to a nil-nil draw with Brest in the absence of Mbe Niang. Leon did a Leon to concede late on and draw with Amion. Florin Molle put in a tremendous performance for Montpellier as they beat Nice 2-1, and Toulouse threw away a two-goal lead against Saint-Étienne as Lever battled back from behind to eventually draw 2-2. Elsewhere, there was a win for Bordeaux, and apparently something went on to, at PSG, but it probably wasn't that noteworthy, so we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> First, we're going to look at the five European clashes that happened in midweek that included French teams, starting with the heavyweight clash of Paris Saint-Germain, hosting Real Madrid. So, Adrian, as a PSG fan, yeah. do you think this result came out of PSG being very good or Madrid being very poor? Well, um, I think it's a bit both, but I'd say that Paris has been Paris was very good during this, this game. Um, I was, um, I, I was uh, 
compare this, this game against Real Madrid in the group stage uh, with the one against uh, Munich, like uh, it was two seasons ago, I think. Or maybe last season, I don't remember. And when Paris uh, scored uh, one 3-0. And this game against Munich was like Munich being very, very poor. And I think in comparison with, with, with the PSG-Real game uh, of... Uh, of this week, I think really Real Madrid was, uh, sorry, Paris was very, very good. And who do you think for Paris stood out individually for you? I think Idrissa Gay, uh, who is my uh, man of the match, in my opinion, and Di Maria and Juan Bernat as well. Yeah, Thomas, uh, Idrissa Gay, he's one of these players who's actually been about for quite a while and has always done that tough tackling, you know, cover every blade of grass on-the-pitch job for quite a while. So isn't it good that he finally got a bit of got a bit of fame for his good work, Thomas? Yeah, I mean, he's been, um, obviously, he's uh, been in the Premier League for a while, so he's known to a lot of Premier League supporters. Um, obviously, it was before that, it was at, it was at Lille. Um, and it was just really great. And, you know, he's, he's been really a Champions League-level player for, for years. Um, so it's... In his first game, he didn't look out of place at all. He was probably the best player on the pitch. Um, he was just, it was, I think, I think everybody who, who has been watching PSG over the past couple of years, who's been screaming out for for a, a rigid, you know, strong defensive midfielder, somebody that can do exactly what Gay did, um, was so happy to see a player like that do it on a big stage because, you know, it, it's, it's easier to do it in in league but on that big stage where where PSG um, are looking to win the Champions League, Gay performed brilliant, and it was great after the match when um, there was a, a clip of Thomas Tuchel um, sort of embracing him, and he, he looked in his eyes and he was so happy, and he hugged him for like, it was like twenty <laughs> seconds of just him hugging Gay. So it was uh, it was brilliant, but yeah, a great performance from from um, Ghana Gay, and uh, obviously obviously more to come. Yeah, it was, there was quite a lot of focus on PSG as a defensive unit as well. Um, a lot of people talked about the fullbacks, which I'm going to come on to in a second. But it was quite it was quite interesting to see Presnel Kempembe start in this big match against Real Madrid. How do you think he did, Jake? I think he did. I think he did really well. You know, I was it, it, it was a surprise in a certain to a certain extent to see him start a game of that magnitude given the drop off and form that he's that he's had since um since the early stages of last season but he, he was he was part of a terrific performance from the PSG defense you know they they restricted Real Madrid to well prevented them from having any legitimate shot on target you know obviously there was the um the effort that was ruled out for offside and that sensational effort from from Gareth Bale but um i think they had 10 shots and and none on target Overall, which is, I think I'm right in saying the first time that they've been held to a draw without a shot on target in 578 competitive matches or something like that. I read. You know what? You are so specific that I just believe you. Well, there you go. Well, yeah, that's that's, that's correct for all intents and purposes. Um, But no, but 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 Kempembe was great. You know, it was the Kempembe that we that we that we got to know and love. He was he was tough and he was physical and and positionally he was sound um, along with the rest of the defence and. And yeah, I thought he was great, and hopefully this result will will help spark him in, back into into a, a more consistent string of form. It was great to see because a happy Kempembe is such a great sight to see. You know, when we <laughs> saw that at P- um, 
with the French national team when they won the World Cup, obviously, you know, having the time of his life playing, I think, like 60 minutes of the whole tournament or something nutty like that. But, you know, still happy in some of the, the other years he's played at PSG. But the last 12 months has been no secret that's not been the best for him. So it was good to just see him go out and put in a, a, a solid performance again. That was really enjoyable. I also want to look at the fullbacks. Obviously, they mm-hmm. went on a bit of a run towards the end of the match and Thomas Moye even got a goal. But I want to talk about the other one, the, the left-back, Juan Bernat. He was a player that whenever I saw at Bayern, I always thought personally, he's a lot below this level, just generally. Playing in Europe, I thought he sticks out like a bit of a sore thumb. Um, I didn't think he was good enough at that level. And at PSG, a lot of, a lot of times, I don't think he's been good enough then. But last night, he was pretty tremendous, Adrian, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he was. And I think he's always been very good in in big European games for for he played for PSG because against Napoli uh, last season and uh Manchester the last season as well he's, he's always um always 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 there always scoring or assisting so yeah i think uh, i'm very happy of Bernat's uh, being in in the, in the team actually yeah what's the opinions on Bernat like in the PSG fan base are they pro Bernat or anti Bernat they're Absolutely, completely pro Bernard because he's uh, he's like a hundred percent every game. You know, he's doing all his uh, he's like he's very very committed and uh, and he's always like uh, scoring or assisting. And he was very um, impressive against Real Madrid, even more impressive. So yeah, he's very 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 loved uh, among the. PSG fan base. Another player that probably deserves a bit more, uh, a bit more love than he probably gets, or I feel like he's been getting a bit more recently, but not so much in recent years, especially at uh, one of his previous clubs, is Angel Di Maria. <laughs> when I was looking through his, his statistics and even just his goal record, seventy-four goals in one hundred and eighty-six appearances, thirty-one years old. You know, he's one of these players that's consistently been there in the absence of. Mbappe when he's been out and Neymar when he's been out quite a lot. He scored five goals in seven appearances this season. And do you think Di Maria's on his way to becoming a little bit of a modern legend at the club, Thomas? Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, he, he, like you said, he's, he's been consistent since he's been at um, in Paris. And like when you know Mbappe's um, maybe been out of form or not in the team or Cavani's not in the team, he's always been there performing well. You know, creating chances, scoring goals, and even you know, you look at last season against Napoli, got he got that sort of goal in the last last couple of minutes, and he always sort of, he always seems to come up with with the goods when it matters for PSG. Um, so I'm sure that I'm sure the fans really do like his commitment. Um, it looks like he's he's settled down. He, he wants to continue his his career. Um, 31 years old, he's got a good few years um, left in him. So see if everyone is fit and everyone's back and no one is suspended. Does Di Maria stand in your front three? Does Maria go beside Mbappe and Neymar? What's your opinion on this, Jake? Not for me, purely based on the, the, the quality that they have available. I think it's so hard to look past the the MCN. And with Icardi there now as well, you know, that he provides another option for to, to Cavani in that central striking role. 
it's such a tough one because Di Maria does have so much quality. He, he is a modern legend of the game. This was, I think, his 100th appearance in, in the Champions League or in, in European competition, certainly. And he, he's been excellent for PSG, especially when they've really needed him. So it's a, it's a real tough call, but I, I think purely based on the quality elsewhere and if, if a certain someone um, can uh, you know, get, back to, get back to the form we know he's capable of and get the fans on side, then I just think it's probably a bit too much of a stretch. But in a, in a long competitive season with a lot of, a lot of you know, physical, tricky away trips in Ligue 1, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll have plenty of, um, get plenty of game time still over the course of the season. Just a quick note, if anyone can, can see the elephant in the room, we're going to talk about Neymar a little bit later, so don't you worry. Okay, <laughs> We'll come to that. I've not forgotten about him. Uh, with this result, a big result, 3-0 dominating win over Real Madrid, and the other teams, Club Bruges and Galatasaray, finishing out to a 0-0 slog, does this put PSG in the driving seat? Are they now favourites to win the group, Adrian? Um, you know, with PSG, you really never know, but uh, <laughs> I think the well, the decisive moment will be at if everything uh, is. Uh, I mean, the decisive moment will be obviously in uh, in the Santiago Bernabeu for the for the the rematch between uh, at 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 Real Madrid. But uh, are they favorites? I don't. I, I think yes, because um, they really proved the world they were capable of beating Real Madrid uh, in in that in that way and I think it's going to be a, a, a tough game away from home at uh, Bernabeu but yeah I think they might be yeah favorites yeah I think it was a, a performance especially for like fans in other countries I think it was especially a country uh, a performance rather that isn't 100% expected of PSG. Oh. Like, PSG are always expected to score with their glittering strike force. But in the past couple of years, even go back to last year, they conceded three times to Napoli, conceded away to Liverpool and, you know, against Red Star Belgrade. But this was a match where they went in, were gritty, had a solid defensive shape and, you know, made a, a respectable, dominating performance with 3-0. I think that says a lot. I do think it says a lot. And... Yeah. With this shape right now, four solid defenders, but that midfield three of Gay, Marquinhos and Verratti, which is just such a, a tackling midfield. Any one of those can win the ball off mm. anyone. I think it's very positive signs for PSG. I've been very, very, very impressed by, by uh, Marquinhos, how, how he plays in midfield, because uh, uh, that's a real victory for, for Thomas Tuchel, because he that's the, the one who... Who who really insisted in putting him in midfield uh, and the way he plays now he's it's it's I'm impressed every time I see him because he's capable of passing the ball and you know being uh, very interesting uh, in attacking situations as well so yeah yeah when you look at it Marquinhos is still only 25 yeah. and he's made over 250 appearances for PSG I think personally he's been a player that's been very overlooked by a lot of clubs when they're looking for that kind of can-do-it-all ball-playing centre-back or very tough-tackling centre-mid. I do like him, and I think this says a lot for PSG in Europe against Real Madrid. What more could you wish for? Let's go on to the next game of the episode, which was Ajax versus Lille. Now, Ajax won 3-0 in this one, but Thomas, do you think that was a fair reflection of the match? Um, 
in one way, yes. In another way, no. Uh, I think looking back on the the chances that that were created, there was it was fairly close between the, both sides, but the level of play was drastically different. Um, Ajax sort of dominated large portions of, of the game. It was it was difficult for for Lille that to to really get a, a grasp um, on on playing. They did have chances, but unfortunately, they just they just really couldn't um, really couldn't convert them. Uh, and it sort of it showed that one of them teams there is a, a very experienced European um, side that that consistently perform in Europe and have got players that, that do the same and another one that is sort of well, not brand new but coming back into Europe with a lot of young players and, and a manager who hasn't uh, who's never been in the, in the Champions League before so it was um, it was a, it was a tough tough scoreline for Lille but this next game against Chelsea is, a, is really a, a big one to see if they can if they can bounce back yeah it was a tough one it was almost as if like this match was a case study of Lille trying to be Ajax. You know, they're quite yeah. similar in mm. team setup. Not so much in creating loads of the players themselves. Lille don't need enough to do that as well as Ajax do. But, you know, very young players, very exciting players. I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, actually, saying that I thought they would be aiming to kind of do at Ajax, mm. have these very uh, young, exciting players and go on a bit of a run just with the positivity that you would create. And they did create chances, but they just lacked that 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 finishing touch up front, Jake. You know, you had you had a Simhen up top, and he's had such a quick rise to the top from Charleroi to Lille. But was this just a step too far for him? Yeah, I, I think I think so. I think it, because it was the you know it was the first game um, first game of the Champions League this season, first game for a young side who haven't got experience uh, in this competition, nor has their manager, as as Thomas was pointing out. Um, and I actually thought at points, you know, we did see the quintessential Lille that we that we do know. You know, we did see some 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 terrific, um, dynamic, energetic counter attacks sweeping across the pitch and creating some good chances. And I did think that Osimhen had a good game overall. I think his hold up play was good. Um, he um, he was lively. He showed his quality again. Um, you know, he, he he almost won a penalty in the uh, in the first couple of minutes uh, against Veltman. Um, he just uh, just struggled to take his chances, and I think I think that was the the reason for that was the magnitude of the game, and and um, and I'm I'm excited to see more of him as the competition progresses, whether he can he can really grow into grow into the the role of a you know a Champions League group stage protagonist, because I I do think although it was a bit too the game was a, got away from him a little bit, he did look lively, and he did there were flashes of uh, of what he can do. Yeah, I think it says a lot that you could even see his reaction after he missed a couple of chances. You can see that he's getting into those positions and he's making chances for himself. It's not like he just wasn't in the game. You can see he wasn't in the game for a lot. He was he was involved for exactly. a lot of it, wasn't he? Yeah, and he was getting in great areas. You know, there was that cross from um, the terrific cross from Ikone in, in I think the, the 57th minute, and he just you know he headed it hard, but he headed it straight at Onana, and you just think a little bit more experience and uh, you know without the perhaps the pressure of the occasion and that's going going past the Ajax keeper um he had he had a couple of opportunities to to reduce the deficit and you know it, it could have been a, a 3-2 if if we had a a, a free scoring or sim and if he was able to take his chances but you know as I say I think I think there's enough positive signs there to show to, to to for the next few games of the group stage 
Yeah, I was looking back at some of the stats for the match and, you know, the the how the stats put it down was they said that Lille missed three big chances. So if they scored all of them, it's 3-3 three, three, and it's a completely different story what we're mm. talking about. I think it'll just take a bit of time for them to kind of elbow their way into a... Uh, like a, a consistency in the competition because sure. it's almost it's almost as if they're going, you know, we don't deserve to be here. You know, we've not got Pepe anymore. Last season was great, but geez, oh, this is a step up. Like, come on, we really need to to switch on our game here, and that'll take time. The match against Chelsea will be very interesting. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one. In the last match, uh, we talked about good defenses with PSG, but. Lille's defence did get ripped apart by Ajax. And one player that was largely at fault for, I think, two of the goals was Gabriel playing at centre-back beside Jose Font. Do you think it's time for him to be replaced by Adama Samaro again? You know, Font and Samaro last season were a very strong centre-back partnership. But with injury to Samaro, he's been kind of getting weeded back into the team. Do you think Lille do better with a font Samauro centre-back partnership. What do you think about that, Thomas? Yeah, I mean, we, we saw it last season, um, the defence, especially with uh, Magnon as well, there was was really, really good. Um, Gabriel is, he's a, can perform well, but he's, he's he's far too inconsistent, unlike Samauro, who's now, a, he's now an experienced league on player. Um, they did sign um, uh, Jello as part of the the deal with uh, Leal, but he's very young. He's still only 19. So that, that Font-Samara partnership is is one that hopefully they'll be looking to get back to um, as soon as possible. And another of these kind of young, exciting players was Renato Sanchez. We talked about him last week a little bit, but it was a largely disappointing um, outing from him. Again, in this match, he played on the right wing, kind of a, as a right midfielder, out of his comfort zone where he usually plays in the middle of midfield. And how do you think that worked out from Adrian, playing on the right mid, right side of midfield? Uh, I haven't seen the whole game, but what I saw was that he looked a bit uh, yeah, uh, uncomfortable and maybe maybe a, a little bit shy sometimes. And For example, uh, the, um, the fr- I think it's Ajax's first goal, the cross f- uh, towards um, Quincy Promise. Uh, it it looks like he could have uh, defended a little bit better, like uh, going on the on on the on the on the crosser. But yeah, he looked a bit yeah shy and not really not really comfortable. So I think uh, it just has to be he just he must be uh, placed in the in the in the in the in, the, in midfield like more central in a more central role, and maybe he'll do better. But yeah, it's 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 a tough tough game to. To, to start your 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 European campaign and maybe he got a little bit uh, over, overwhelmed by the, the that's what is what is at stake so I don't know yeah absolutely when you consider the the event and the experience playing in, in a massive arena in Amsterdam first match going up against a team that got to the semis last year mm. I think this was always going to happen that Lille were going to have a deer in the headlights mo- moment when all their players were kind of freeze up a little bit just because of the occasion. But, like I said, I feel like it'll, it'll come with time and we'll start to see the real Lille that we saw last season because they're still a very good outfit. They've, they've had an alright start to the season in the league and I think it's just a matter of time before we see that, hopefully against Chelsea in a few weeks' time. So, speaking of the Chelsea match, if they put in a similar performance to that they played against Ajax, you know, creating a bit of chances, 
but not 100% there. Do they get punished, or do you think they can match this Chelsea Chelsea team that also is quite young, doesn't have a lot of experienced players? I'll come to Jake for this, obviously, because there's local <laughs> knowledge of Chelsea and all that. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I I definitely believe that it's a game that's going to have goals at both ends of the pitch. Um, Chelsea have been have been really really inconsistent so far, and and although there's a, you know there's a lot of positivity behind the team. Uh, especially from Chelsea fans because of of what the club are doing with youth and obviously the good feeling behind having Frank, Frank Lampard back and the positives we've seen. They're still aside with um, with injuries, with with young players, with inconsistent players at the back. Um, you know, I've given Kurt Zuma a bit of a bad uh, a bashing on the podcast so far. I, I do love him, but he's just he, he's he's not quite cutting it at the moment at, at this level. And I think there are. There are definitely definitely goals to be to be had against us, and I think if if Osimhen is can just take a few of these chances, and if the team can be if Lille can can create in the way that they did against Ajax, and and maybe just be ever so slightly more clinical, I think they can really give Chelsea a game, especially at, um, especially at home. Let's move on to the third match in the Champions League that involved a French team. And this was Olympique Lyonnais against Zenit St. Petersburg. Or I think they've had a little bit of a rebrand. They like just being called Zenit these days. Cleaner, cooler, it's like Facebook. <laughs> so uh, this was a 1-1 a draw. Is this a good or a bad result, Jake? I think it's a bad result. Uh, we said in the um, in the original preview preview show when we when we got the, uh, the when the Champions League groups were drawn. Um, we pointed out that this is being perhaps the most winnable game in in their group, and I stick by that. I think it is a game that Lyon should have been looking to win already, with uh, RB Leipzig having won the, their first game, and with Lyon to play them um, in Leipzig in the next match. You know, if Le- if Leipzig win that, then Lyon are five points behind them, and that's probably realistically first choice, uh, first position in the group gone, and. And perhaps second second position too. You know they were lucky in um, in that Benfica lost and and that a point isn't isn't the end of the world. But Zenit at home is definitely the easiest easiest game in that group and and one that they they really should have been more clinical in, um, more more solid defensively in and and one that they should have won. Yeah, it was a game they dominated in terms of possession and shots on target. They probably had the better of the chances when you look at the full match. But for a team that scored nine goals in the first two games, uh, Thomas, don't know if you heard that, nine goals in the first two matches. I don't know if you, <laughs> yeah, don't know yeah. if you remember that. Just, <laughs> just, just reminding you. Uh, what will it take for them to get back to scoring form, do you think? Um, I think the... a bit best bit pessimistic but and nine goals was sort of an anomaly because the two teams they were playing had terrible games um so i think it's really i think silvino's still getting used to being a, a brand new club you know he's got to figure out what's the best team tactics this thought this um sort of uh, thing he's doing with the fullbacks, making them keeping them quite reserved, seems to be limited to them at times. Um, so it's just um, a, a, a chance or a, a sort of a, a time frame that needs to that needs to progress as as Silvino sort of starts to get used to his squad, starts to figure out what his best lineup is, um, and then just focus on on developing that through. 
Yeah, it's almost as if everything started a bit too quickly for him. You know, mm. at the club, nine goals in the first two matches. I think he must have gone, oh, you know, I've done it. I've perfected management. <laughs> this is great. It's going to go well. It's, it's, it's kind of like if you, it, it's a similar situation to, or it's a contrasting situation to Marseille. You know where where a new coach comes in and it doesn't it doesn't one hundred percent kick off right at the start and Andre Villas-Boas has to look at himself and look at his team and go right how am I going to work to make this to make this right and in the last few matches we've started to kind of see the fruits of that labour. I think Salvino yeah. would have benefited a lot more if he hadn't had such a quick start because it meant that that defeat to Montpellier just completely took the wind out of his sails and he's not yeah. as he's not I, an experienced enough manager now to like work his way around that. I think so. And it looks like he's a little bit too wedded to, to this system. And it seems a bit too rigid with the team sort of playing in blocks. They're not, not utilising the quality that they have going forward at fullback. You know, that's something that we've talked about before uh, that Thomas mentioned. And mm-hmm. defensively, they look a bit lethargic in the press. Um, they're, they're too willing to, to, to let teams come at them, I think. And, and that's costing them goals. So I've got a statistic for you. Of Leon's last eight Champions League matches, they've won none of them. It's been seven draws and one loss. Some of these matches have included home draws with Shakhtar Donetsk and, and Hoffenheim, you know, beatable teams in the same world as them. But it never really seems to never really seems to work. It doesn't seem as if Leon really showed their quality in Europe. I don't think they've got through the group stage since early to 2010s. Adrian, why do they never seem to really show their quality in Europe? I don't really, really know. Uh, maybe they're like, I don't know if we say this, but like uh, frozen by you know the the, the event and uh, that, that is counterperforming. So I don't I don't see any rational ex- explanation because you see that sometimes they are capable of like drawing at home against Shakhtar and then. Uh, playing a great game away in Ukraine. I mean, that's only things the young can do, and I don't really understand sometimes. And indeed, this um, infamous eight uh, eight games without winning uh, record is quite impressive. Yeah, um, Thomas, you mentioned team selection, so I've got a question for the three of you. Leon so far have been playing pretty much with a 4-3-3, three in midfield. And it's this three in midfield that I want to focus on. You know, we looked at PSG, they're kind of top of the table neighbours who have a very strong midfield three with Marquinhos and Co. But if we're looking at Leon, who do have a lot of centre-mid options, who is your preferred midfield three? Uh, some of the options include, you know, Terrier, Awar, Toussart, Jean Lucas, who's just signed, René Adelide, who's just signed, and also Thiago Mendes, who recently joined from Lille. But I want your selections for your favourite midfield three, including players there, or maybe players you want to shift from around the pitch or bring up from the academy. Uh, Jake, let's start with you. Who would you have in your preferred midfield three? I would go for uh, Hussam Awa, Thiago Mendes and Jeff Ren Adelaide. I think that gives them a bit more creativity and dynamism going forward, which they've, they've missed in the last, the last few games, certainly. And, and although uh, Toussaint obviously started the season very well and looked very lively, I was looking at uh, some, of the, some, of the, some of the 
decision making that he that he exhibited against Amiens, um, the pass map from that game, and it's a lot of sort of sideways and backwards passes. Um, not enough going forward, in my opinion. I think that 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 forward three would really could really make them a nightmare for uh, for opposition teams. Mm. So Thiago Mendes would be playing a similar role that Baptiste Santa Maria plays on Jay, where he just kind of holds on and hopes that the back four don't get battered for 90 minutes. More or less, yeah. <laughs> Hold yeah. on to everyone around him. Uh, yeah, Awar is one of these players that needs to start, Jake, doesn't he? He really does. He really does. He just gives them a completely different dimension. Um, I understand why Silvino benched him against Zenit. You know, he was poor in the two-all draw with, with Amia. Um, but... He just he just has so much quality and 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 really should be starting every game, every single game for them in midfield. Yeah, absolutely, I I do agree. Adrian, who is your preferred midfield three for Leon? I completely uh, with with Jake because I think uh, Mendes, Awar, and Rena Delade are very I think very very dangerous uh, when. Playing together, and I w- I've been very, very um, impressed by Renadelaide's uh, performance, and uh, recently, and I think he's very good in midfield because he's able to play on on the wings sometimes, and but uh, in midfield he's very, very interesting. So yeah, I think uh, Renadelaide and Awar and the three I would go for. Okay, so we've got two votes for that kind of Mendes Adelaide. And uh, Awar, midfield three. Thomas, come on, shake up for us. Or are you going to just agree with the other two? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty much going to agree with both. Um, I think, obviously, Chitara has had a, um, quite a good start to the season. But with Mendes, you've got somebody who's more a, a better sort of progressive passer. Um, as, even, though he, he, even though he can cover... Um, cover defence as a defensive player um, he's just uh, sort of a, a better um, distributor of the ball that, than, than Toussaint is and you look at the the midfield they've had over the last two seasons you know Awa still there Toussaint and, and, and Ndombele and I've mentioned it before but Adelaide is could be a, a similar um, sort of player to Ndombele he's got the same he shares the same um, qualities in, in Fantastic transition, you know, really, really great acceleration. Um, amazing ability to just easily just walk out of a press, it seems. Um, so, yeah, that, that's exactly the same as the other two guys. <laughs> I am absolutely disgusted by you three. That my <laughs> lovely Jean Lucas, with the whitest teeth in Ligue 1, does not get a place in that midfield three. Come on, he's an absolute unit. I want to see more of him, honestly. Um, I'm quite surprised Tussar and Terrier don't don't make an appearance anywhere. Do you think Terrier should play higher up the pitch? I know he, he finished last season kind of playing on the wing and he got lots of goals towards the end of campaign. Do you think, do you treat him more of a, a winger now than a centre mid, Jake? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think I think his best position is is on the wing. We saw that in the latter stages of last season. When he really did look terrific, he was the best Leon's best player for the last portion of the season, and it's a shame really that Silvino doesn't seem to to fancy him so much, um, at least at the moment. And you can kind of understand that because Depay has been fantastic on 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 the wing, and he seems to love Traore on the right. But 
I'd love to see more of, uh, would love to see more of Martin Thierrier, especially in the league, um, playing on the wing rather than in, in central midfield, where I think he can be a real asset to them, especially for in terms of scoring goals. OK, let's move on to our next match, which was Wren versus Celtic. Now, this match was at Razon Park and it ended 1-1 with two penalties splitting up the team's goals coming from Wren in the way of Mbe Niang and also Ryan Christie for Celtic. Firstly, without even looking at the score or anything, a league and team coming up against a, against a, a Scottish Premiership team. You know, the levels are different. Top five against probably like a top 10 league. Jake, is this a match they should have been winning? Yeah, it is. It, it is, especially at home. Um, and considering that the 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 depth of that group, you know, Cluj have, have been impressive for a while now. And they were, by all accounts, very impressive, impressive in their win against Lazio. And of course, Lazio are immensely immensely talented team who will be challenging for the top of the group even even with that defeat so so Celtic at home really is a game that 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 Wren should have been looking to win and it was such a such a fierce feisty affair in the end and the you know a, a tense game and 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 one that I think will has yielded a disappointing result for the home side yeah um if for people listening we are literally recording this like pretty much just after the final whistle of all the kind of later games have gone on. So we've stationed ourselves around watching different matches with French teams uh, <laughs> this week. And I was watching Silveren. Yeah, it was quite a, a feisty affair, actually. A, a very feisty affair. I'm going to see how many yellow cards there were, actually, because they were getting dished out like nothing else. A lot. Um, yeah. Seven yellow cards, five for Celtic. Um, quite, a, quite a feisty match with... I can't remember who at the end, I think it was Triori, got a really bad one from one of the Celtic wingers who just went straight through and almost caught his leg. It was yeah. really, it, it was on the edge of it. And when Ryan Christie scored, he kind of gave the ultras a little bit of a wave that <laughs> always helps. Uh, but yeah. Razon Park was in true form, loud yeah. as ever. Um, Demian De Silva, the captain, did go off injured and he looked quite slow. I, th- I thought um, up against James Forrest, who for people who don't watch Scottish football, rapid winger, not rapid as in fast with Ryan, but but fast with the ball at his feet, kind of like a uh, diluted San Maximan slightly, a bit more clinical as well, uh, but similar type of player. And he shook up De Silva and De Silva just committed and gave away a really soggy penalty. <laughs> Other people that played well for Ren, I thought, was Clement Grognier, um Benjamin Bourgeois, I was really loving to see, but he didn't get that involved in the match. Yeah. And Mbeni Yang had his chances, but didn't really finish them. Um, yeah, it was a weird match. It was a very tense match, especially as the game went on. But one player that wasn't in the starting lineup was Eduardo Camavinga. Adrian, do you think this was the, the right choice? Do you think this is a, a too big uh, a momentous occasion for a 16-year-old to be put in, or do you think he should have been in the starting eleven? I think it was it was a, a good idea to just um, leaving him on the bench for the, the beginning of the, of the match and uh, putting putting him uh, later on because uh, I think the 16-year-old uh, midfielder that was maybe a, too big to start, but. Uh, I think uh, the players that were playing uh, in his spot were have been quite good, so I, I think uh, Julien Stéphane made the right decision. 
especially with how the game eventually transpired, with it getting really feisty towards the end, I think it was probably an okay decision to have. Mm. Slightly bigger players like Clement Grognier, who threw himself about, by the way. He was in the, he was through the wars in that game. And uh, also Jonas Martin, who I thought was classy as ever. Really like Jonas mm. Martin. Funny, funny fact that, uh, do you know that Flavien Tet was the, his first ever European game, aged uh, 26? Oh, of course, because he's just been at Angers and, and stuff and playing in yeah, yeah. League Two most of his career. So I, I, I didn't even think <laughs> that wasn't even supposed to be a dig at Angers. By the way, that I didn't sounded even like a dig. Found he was. I, I found him very, very interesting. I mean, he was not hiding. He was like going uh, very, yeah, very impressed by his performance. I mean, for first ever experience in uh, in Europe, that was purging. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. He gave he gave a quite a good account of himself. Actually, kind of really chucked himself in at the deep end. Um, looking at his stats, you know, he he attempted four dribbles and completed three of them. He did get quite a lot of luck down that left wing up against. I think it was El Hamid for Celtic. He was up against. He, he did play well, and it kind of shows why he was on the lips of pretty much every league and scout last year. Um, another player that stood out for me was Rafinha. Who oh, yeah. recently signed from Sporting Lisbon? Totally. Who wants to talk about him? Who knows? Who wants to talk about him? Jake, you want to say something? I'll give it a go. I'll Just give it a generally, because he signed recently for what twenty in the region of twenty million. He did. Euros? He did, and he's and he's a player who, who's been watched by by bigger clubs for a long a long while. Um, last season was his, his his breakout season, really, in terms of playing playing consistently for for Sporting. Um, he's a player with with a lot of potential. Uh, he's rapid. He's an excellent dribbler, and he, as we as we've seen already in his in his couple of couple of outings for Ren, he loves to to cut inside, and he's got a wicked shot on him, hasn't he? You know, mm. we saw that a couple of times in 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 this game tonight against against Celtic, um, and he's one I'm really excited about. You know, I was I was a little bit I thought Ren were a little bit light in the in the forwards department with um, the departure of Ismaili Assar, but they they've really really done excellent business in replacing him. In uh, in Rafinha, if not for current ability, then for potential. But I already think he looks like looks could, looks like he could be a real difference maker for Ren. Yeah, he was only twenty two, and uh, quite early on in the match, I think it would have been about fifteen minutes in when it was quite a tight match up until then, and he had it on the right wing, and he was you know sizing up his fullback, and he was like right sack it in the left wing, cut again, ping it. And Fraser Forster really had to dive down to his he right did. side to save yeah. it. He, very exciting player. This is the first time I'd uh, seen him in like a full 90 minutes, like seen him just kind of in the flesh. But I have to say, I was quite impressed. You know, they've spent a lot of money on him. 18.9 million euros from Sporting. Time, it was. I was thinking that. I was like, friend, that's yeah, a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. But they got a good bit of money for Sar. I just really hope it works out. I really hope mm. it works out. Because looking at his numbers for when he played in Portugal, they are good. Especially his season at Gomairish. He scored a, a boatload of goals playing on the wing. Looks like a quite exciting player. But yeah, generally, Ren should have done better here. And we'll need to kind of kick on, you know. It's not the easiest group with Celtic and other teams like, I believe, Cluj and Lazio are in the group. It's going to be a tough one. And if they can't beat Celtic at home, they're going to have to take a look at themselves. But they did create chances. But, you know, they were pushed back for a lot of it. Uh, let's move on to our final European match of the night, which was Ghent versus San Etienne. Um, so, Adrian, this was a, a pretty lacklustre performance from Etienne. Again, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, um, I saw the the second half, and 
it was I mean they considered some quite some stupid goals and there was not really any uh, I mean I don't know, the, the chances were not very it was a lot of I can uh, I can take right now um just kind of half chances quite messy kind of yeah, just yeah messy that was the the one I was looking for exactly kind of kind of messy hopefully um them they had Kazri who's been their best player for 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 months now and um they've been put in the in the game uh, again thanks to that uh, incredible own goal by the 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 Ghent uh, keeper but yeah uh another very gloomy performance from from them i mean pretty poor i mean if you look at their form sheet now it's loss draw loss loss draw and then a win over Dijon which is pretty much a loss these days like you know that, that doesn't even count for anything like everyone in the league should just start with three points and no one plays Dijon this season like that's how I think they should set up that's harsh so um yeah no, I hope no mustards are listening to this yeah. from Saint-Étienne was Maybe not the best one because uh, there was like no real um, striker playing up front, <laughs> and when you when you see the the height of uh, Bel- Belgian defenders, uh, I mean, Kazri had no chance, and I think Robert Berich entered like too late. Uh, I mean, gone. He should have been on the pitch uh, earlier, and yeah. Yeah, Robert Berich is one of these players that every time I watch him, I always think he just affects the game. And I know what you're saying about no kind of real out-and-out striker. Um, judging by their formation, they played with Kazri up front again, who who did that did work a bit from last season, but that was more because Jean-Louis Gasset's team was just so efficient, as opposed to Kazri being like a great out-and-out striker. Romain Hamouma played beside him, but Hamouma getting a bit older, he's not that clinical striker that they really need. I think Berich is one of these players that really should be a starter for San Etienne. What do you think about that, Thomas? Yeah, if you, if you look at his, his record for the club, he's always, he's, I mean, he's had quite a few substitute appearances, but he, he has quite a good goals-to-game record. I can't, I can't really recount for it now, but he, he does seem to score um, quite a lot for good games, good, good chances, quite um, obviously a physic, quite a, uh, more of a, a typical number nine Um more of a, a physical player, very good in the air, just sort of occupies that that, that centre forward space um, quite well. So it's it's puzzling really to see why he's never he's never sort of struck down that place and, and made it his own. Yeah, because he had it towards the end of last season, didn't he? And he scored quite mm. a few goals. Um, yeah, and he's always kind of scored wherever he went, even when he when he came from like Maribor and whatnot. He's a very good striker, and coming into his age of twenty eight. He is something that uh, someone I feel that Printon should rely on a little bit more. So, San Etienne aren't doing well in the league. They didn't do too well in the Europa League. If you had to give them one competition to really focus on this season, Jake? I think they should focus on the league purely because they they were so good last season. And as a squad, they've definitely improved over the, over the summer. They've added depth and... I think they've got a, 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 a good, well-balanced squad that, that should be able to cope with a with a longer league campaign and 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 challenge for those European places again, especially with the the inconsistencies that we're seeing from Lyon or um, or even Marseille. You know, who obviously looked a lot better more recently, but are a bit wobbly at the start. 
it's, it's a squad brimming with with potential and and they really should uh, with the players that they have be looking to to challenge again to to get back into the European places um, in the league next season, which I think could be really important for sustaining um, a squad as competitive as as the one that they have, rather than going a hundred percent gun ho on a on a cup run or a or a Europa League run. Yeah, I agree absolutely. Uh, and that wraps up our European matches. Uh, just for a quick note, Ghent won 3-2. I don't think I said the score at the, at the start. But yeah, so Ghent won 3-2 with the Canadian Jonathan David, uh, 19-year-old. I was talking to Thomas uh, about this off-air just quickly. 19-year-old Canadian player, looks a real talent for Ghent. And I'm going to be trying to watch a bit more of him as the Belgian league uh, transpires and goes on this season. But let's do one of only a few previews we're going to fit in this episode. And there's one you just can't ignore. It's Lyon versus Paris Saint-Germain. An absolute heavyweight clash these days in Ligue 1. And now I can breathe because we can mention Neymar and we can talk about all that what happened last week ah. with, his, with his overhead kick and just the absolute incredible scenes that we saw <laughs> at the Parc de France. So, Adrian, as a PSG fan... Were you whistling him every time he was on the ball or cheering him on? Um, I was not stadium, but uh, uh, to be to be completely honest with you, I'm super happy that he uh, remained at PSG. Uh, obviously, I was it was it was a strange feeling to watch him uh, score that 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 overhead kick. I think it's it's a very good thing for PSG that he remained, even though uh, uh, it's it's been complicated the last um, the, the the weeks before. But um, I didn't I did not insult him when he scored. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was completely amazed by what he had done. So I just I said nothing. I was like stunned, but you know, some. I think I, I, I'm really happy that he stayed at PSG. But the general, the general consensus in the PSG fan base was yeah. that they didn't know what to do. Kind of when he scored, do we cheer? <laughs> do, do we do we jump on the pitch? You know, <laughs> what, that was the kind of general idea, wasn't it, Adrian? Yeah, yeah, yeah obviously. Um, but I think in the stadium, the 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 general yeah idea, as you say, was um, not about booing him or or something. It was more like but he, the majority of of the of the of the stadium was more happy that than you know uh, disappointed that he, he didn't he didn't leave. But uh, of course, a minority of supporters the 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 ultra they they were not really happy about it. But I think the majority is very very happy that he remained at the club. Do you think that? Neymar can continue that form. You know, is that sustainable? That much hate being put on him. Do you think he can kind of continue being such a pivotal player for PSG in this match against Lyon? Um, I think I think he loves he loves it. He <laughs> Neymar is is never um, never better than when he has uh, you know uh, things to prove, and um, I think it can. Very, it can be a very good uh, asset for him to you know to be, because he he loves to be um, do things when he's booed and he's uh, hated and I think uh, it 
it can only be a good um, a good thing for him. I think it can motivate him to to play better and prove every everybody that he he's a world class player and shut shut everybody's mouth. You know, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going on to the other side of the camp, the home side for this Leon. We've talked about Silvino and how his team has kind of lost a bit of momentum in recent weeks, ever since Arno Suke hit that ball into the top of the goal for Montpellier. <laughs> uh, great goal, by the way. Go and watch it if you, if you didn't see it a couple of weeks ago. What does a win here do for Silvino and his men? Do, do you know, is this the type of game where they go and win that and, you know, it resets everything and they can go and put together a good run of results? What do you think about this, Jake? It's a tough one, really, because I'm I'm certainly of the opinion that there are there are changes that Silvino needs to make to the way the general way the team play and and the system, and that it's not just an issue of of him needing you know needing more time to adapt to man, top flight management or adapt to the league. I think there are changes that he needs to make to the way that the team's set up and the way that they play and and the personnel, as we've discussed. Um, that could lead to, to real kind of long-term positive change, getting back to, to, the, to, to how good we know they can be um, in terms of the quality that they possess. But, you know, Lyon are somewhat of a, of a bogey team for PSG, especially at, uh, in Lyon at the Group Armour Stadium. And, and I definitely do think that a, a win for Lyon can, can be a huge boost of morale because defeat, to be honest, already leaves Lyon seven points behind PSG and you know the, the, we were talking after two games about these guys being being the best chance of a of a title race that we've had in Liga since since PSG Monaco but you know if they lose here that could already be out the window so 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 a win is a would be a huge a huge morale boost but it's not enough in itself to bring consistent positive change on the pitch I don't think Memphis Depay will clearly be a pivotal part in this match if Leon do win. He's been averaging a goal a game this season and we've really seen a, 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 a Depay that's kind of got the grip between got the bit between his teeth. It's almost as if like he's really kicked on because last season we saw him with a bit of malaise and being a bit tired and lazy about it. But he's really switched on this season and he's turning into, you know, a top class player, isn't he, Thomas? Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean um He's quite a. He likes to sort. Of, he likes the limelight. Um, he uh, he likes the the attention. But I mean, he he deserves it for his for his uh, footballing ability, and um, he's had a good good few seasons at, at Leon. And perhaps this is the time where he's thinking, "Oh right, okay, I need, I need to uh, really have a, a great season to get my big move to Real Madrid or something like that." That's what he said. He said, he said in the past. Mm. Um, but you know, he's a, a huge asset. Um, for Leon to have, and I think this probably will will be his last season uh, in France. You think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, if he continues in the in you know um, similar form, I don't see Leon uh, Leon keeping him. So if he does go, presumably a player that could maybe fill the void is a player that very recently, I think it was today, might have been yesterday, signed a new long term contract at the club, and that is of course. Maxwell Corney, the 22-year-old attacker. Do you think he is maybe not good enough now, but good enough in a couple of years to kind of fill the void that Depay would leave, Thomas? Um, 
with the way he's been the past two years, I'd say no, he's not probably got that ceiling. Um, but he's been he's been out of the team very consistently. When he does play, he performs he performs quite well. Um, he he, start, he doesn't start that much. We saw a lot of a talented and raw player at Mets, and his progression has probably been halted from him being in, in and out of the team. Um, but when he does play, you see that he he is um, a really uh, quite an exciting, explosive player. Um, but with somebody like Bertrand Traore, which is has always been a, a favourite of, of Genesio and and seems like Silvino as well, it, it'll be tough to for Corne to 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 get into the team. And it's been a season or two now that everybody thinks, well, maybe he's going to leave now. I think it was Watford that were recently interested in him, but it seems that like the moves keep breaking down, and maybe he's, he's he might put his head down and and try and get through to the to the first team and and. Um, assert himself as one because he's only what, 20, 22, 23? 22, he's still, yeah. Yeah, he's still a very young player. Um, so hopefully, hopefully much more to come from from Kone. So Jake mentioned it earlier that Leon usually do very well at home against PSG. So I want your score predictions for this match. Thomas, what's your score prediction for this game? Uh, I reckon it will probably be not as five, well, not as close as of a game as people would think. So I think PSG might be quite comfortable with uh, probably a two, three-one win. Okay, Jake, I'm going to go for a, a two-one win purely due to, you know, I think after Wednesday's, uh, after t- sorry, the Tuesday's game against Real, um, PSG might be um, um, a little bit. Uh, their minds might still be on that a little bit and and they do struggle at the group armor so yeah i'm going to go for uh, for 2-1 to psg to, to, to PSG, psg sorry and uh, adrian what do you think this game will finish i think yeah i'll go for 2-1 as well maybe uh with probably neymar scoring i don't know why but uh and i don't know but yeah 2-1 i think it's score because Lyon against psg they always against PSG at home so yeah 2-1 you know I'm going to have a bit more positivity for Leon. I'm going to say a 2-2 draw um, this game doesn't usually have a draw it's usually one team or the other usually the home side but I think PSG will be on a bit of a high uh, after that score I still don't think PSG are as good as a 3-0 win over PSG over uh, Real Madrid would suggest and I think Leon Salvini will definitely look at this match as a, a a pivotal part in the early stages of his management career. So I'm going to say 2-2. Um, uh, I'll predict a crazy match. I'm going to say Memphis Depay scores in the first minute, then wins a penalty on the 60th to put 2-0 two, two up. Uh, Husam Awar, own goal, credible, to make it 2-1. And then 90th minute, Neymar's going to pick up edge of the box, fire it straight at Anthony Lopez and it slips through his hands and it's an absolute mutiny 2-2 draw. That's, that's what my... Uh, you you got to go bizarre because if it happens, then everyone's going to come back to this and be like, you know, that's insane. Uh, it's like okay. when uh, it's like when somebody, you know, tweets out something ridiculous, you know, predicts a ridiculous scoreline and, and something like that and then when it comes, then when it does eventually come to fruition, you know, it goes completely viral and <laughs> and uh, everyone loses their minds and thinks this, this person's a soothsayer or whatever. So, <laughs> There's yeah. a reason Could we're recording this. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, let's move on to the last match of the episode. We've not been able to get too many games purely due to the European action, but it's two teams that probably haven't been covered enough in the preview show so far. So I want to put a little bit more limelight on Bordeaux uh, and Stad Brestois 89, Don't know how you want to pronounce it. Uh, finally, Bordeaux, you know, under Paolo Sousa, who everyone knows I'm a big fan of, <laughs> they they've started to put together a solid run of results, haven't they, Jake? Yeah, they they have. They you know, and they're showing they're finally showing a bit more consistency, which is something that they were lacking before. Um, I think that the system that they they play in, Sousa's really been testing it. Um, since his since his arrival, really that three four three that can can kind of shift into a a four two three one in the in the defensive phase and um, um, when when necessary for the attack, you know it's it's it seems to be coming good for them a little bit. You know it's two wins against lesser opposition in in Dijon and Metz and and a draw away against against Lyon, um, who you know are, are proving to be a little bit inconsistent, but they they look flexible. They look dynamic going forward when they do go when they are attacking, and they, you know they start games like a like a rocket. Like um, you know, they got, I think it's four of their goals this season have come in the first fifteen minutes of matches or something like that. So they <laughs> they come flying out of the blocks, and and again, I think the system that Sosa deploys them in is really um, is key for that. So 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 yeah, they, you know, and they've got an exciting squad. They've got some some exciting forward players. We, we've talked talked about Huang recently. He's looked. He's looked really good. Um, uh, Kalu's been 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 good recently, and and Kamano came off the bench in the last match, and hopefully he can he can get back to the kind of form that we know he's capable of because he's such a talent. Um, um, and it's just such a shame in the way that his season last season was derailed by all of that sort of transfer speculation with with Monaco. But but yeah, it really does seem to see at least seem to be coming good for them, and they seem to be finding a bit of consistency, and it's the best run that they've been on under Paolo Sosa so so they'll definitely be hoping to carry that into into what is a, a winnable game against against Brest at home yeah it'll be another winnable game for Bordeaux and it'll be definitely one they want to win but they've focused quite a lot on their defense a little bit more you know they've they've had two clean sheets in their last three matches they were a good defensive unit at times last season they were one of the better uh, teams for goals conceded in the bottom half and I just hope they start to show that a little bit more um, the signing of Lorna Koscielny I feel has had as much of an effect as some people thought they would they thought it would have quite a big effect but also Enoch Quatting, his numbers you know, he was at Nantes wasn't he? Great defensively yeah. and he's just showed that again at Bordeaux I think he's a really underrated just defensive player, you know he's, he's a bit of an old school Fullback, he's not one of these Guardiola types that go bombing on and get the ball in the back post and all this. You know, he he hangs back, he knows what he's good at, and he's very good at it. So I think Bordeaux have got a bit of a steal in signing Quateng. What's our opinions on Aurelien Chomeni? You know, 19-year-old centre mid. I know there was a lot of buzz around him more last year and they thought he was going to uh, really crack on towards the end of last season. Didn't really happen but he's been given a bit more of an opportunity to start this season under Paolo Sousa. What's your opinions on him, Thomas? Yeah, he's a really exciting um, player. It's great to see him now being um, given that, that starting berth a, a, a little bit more than, than he did have last uh, season. And with young players like, young, young midfielders like, like him, um, 
just just having them in the squad and starting and giving them the confidence there, the development you'll see it you'll see him grow over over the course of the season. Um, he's been he's sort of he's been mentioned quite a lot um, over the past past year or so, um, just due to his really good um, development for Bordeaux. Uh, but it's it looks like but the, the squad is. Is a little bit more settled than it previously was. It was actually interesting listening to the um, the President's podcast, the first episode with Joe DeGrosa. Um, yeah, um, recommend everybody goes and, and checks that out. And it was good to see him talk about sort of the project that's going on at Bordeaux, and it's not as it's not as mad as we we perceive it to be. Um, and there's there's a clear strategy behind there, and he's got faith in in uh, Sosa. Um, so it's, it was really interesting to see. That the take of it from from somebody inside the club, uh, and hopefully that it's a, it's a it's a good start, and um, it's something to build on, build on for Bordeaux. And we'd obviously all love to see them get back to being a, a real um, heavyweight uh, in in the division. Let's talk about Bordeaux's opponents for this match, which will be Brest, one of the two teams that got promoted from League Two last year. A key player, in my opinion, for Brest so far has been Samuel Grancier. You know, a, a player that's been chucked about by Monaco and went on loan to, to Strasbourg. You know, he's not exactly been a first choice, first starter since really the 2017-18 season. But he can be dangerous on his day, can't he, Jake? Yeah, he can. He can. And it's, it's I think coming to Brest was, was the right move. You know, he was, he was really great for Trois and didn't really get much of a much of a look in at Monaco, which is understandable, just given given the level of their first team and also the chaos that surrounded them over the last couple of years. <laughs> and it's a shame that in in you know in a team that rotates as much as Strasbourg that he didn't really get that much of a look in um, in his loan spell last season um, under under Thierry Laure. But you know he's a he's a regular for Brest this season. He's a he's a pretty deadly player on his day, um, and he can be the sort of the difference maker in a team that um, at times have looked a little bit, a little bit uninspiring, a little bit static, which you don't really want from a Olivier Delolio team. You know, you want that kind of fun, uh, attacking, more attacking, um, attack-minded or counter-attack-minded football. I suppose that 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 um, that we saw during his time at Dijon, and um, yeah, Grancier can be can be really important for that, and 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 I, I hope that he does kick on and maybe help unlock the. The, uh, unlock the uh, or open the floodgates, should I say, for for other players like a Gaëtan Chabonnier, for example, um, going forward, who's who's who himself hasn't really um, hit the ground running as 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 Brest fans might have hoped so far this season. Yeah, they're still really to be tested by one of the top teams in Liga, though, haven't they? You know, you know they've they've suffered results, even like a three 0 defeat to Nîmes, which isn't great. This match against Bordeaux is probably one of the tougher ones that they've had so far, apart from probably their matchup with Saint-Étienne. It's going to be quite interesting to see how they deal with a, a tricky away trip to Bordeaux, isn't it, Thomas? Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, both teams come into the game with fairly um, OK form. Um, it should be a, a quite a, a close affair. Um, I think Brest really over, I think it was the, the game um, really against Wren, uh, where they sort of matched Wren um, pretty much throughout the whole mm. ninety minutes, 
and it didn't they didn't really look out of place even though they've got they, they've brought through a lot of of players from uh league de, um like castelletto and and uh, dennis Barn, who was a um was at the half for, for years um so it's it's really interesting and and uh great to see that that many players coming through um one player i've, I've seen a quite a bit of uh this this time and last year as well was uh, ibrahim diallo um the defense midfield is only only young, he's only twenty years old. He's a brother of uh, Abdu, who's at, at PSG now. Just got a nice little, uh, little oh, fact right. there. And uh, he came. He, he was he was at Monaco, like like Abdu, but it seems like he, his brother might have given him a nudge and said, "Yeah, you need to leave. You need to get out as, <laughs> as soon as you can." And uh, he uh, he was at, he was at Brest on on loan last year. Um, he was uh, a good player. You know, he's, he's quite a, a combative player. Um, really strong in a, in a challenge, but. Very, he's like like a lot of modern um, defensive midfielders, like like uh, Gay. He's he's quite good at, um, at breaking a press, being press resistant, um, and a good passer as well. So another one to watch out for. He's been quite quietly impressive for for them this season, and, and should continue mm-hmm. that um, as we as we carry on. Right. So to finish off the episode, let's get your score predictions for this one, Thomas. I'll start off with you. I'm gonna go with a uh, one-all draw. Okay, uh, Jake? I'm going 1-0 Bordeaux. And Adrian, what do you think this game will finish? I don't know. I'd say, yeah, probably a draw, but maybe nil nil. I'm going to have a bit more positivity for Bordeaux. I think they can win this match. Maybe 1-0, even 2-0 if they really get going. Um, I think this Bordeaux team does have a lot of, um, a lot of uh, potential. I'm just... That's why I kind of I've been frustrated by Paulo Sousa recently because I just don't think he's got the best out of that team. I think it's a better team than people mm-hmm. realise, um, especially with players like Yassine Adley on the bench. Oh, hashtag free Adley! Like honestly, he's just <laughs> sitting doing nothing, and he's so talented and tall. Got the wavy hair, gorgeous man. Oh, get him <laughs> in the team, honestly. Uh, yeah, so I think Bordeaux are going to do a bit better. I'm going to back them to win, and that finishes off our episode this week uh, of the preview show i realized last week uh, when listening back to last week's show we started talking about funky names at the end so much to the point where we didn't even give a score prediction for the last match we just got completely <laughs> just like lost and selected just random guys that play for like corinthians and and kaiser chiefs and stuff um jake i've been told you've got a funky name for us this week so my funky name has a historical twist and also one that is very relevant to France, if not by nationality, then by name. And that is um, Australian, former Australian goalkeeper whose name is Norman Conquest, um, who uh, was, actually, was actually on the end of a 17-0 <laughs> drubbing uh, to, to an English FA representative side, whatever that means, in 1951. So, um, so there you go. Um, Norman Conquest was conquered. Clearly, you have but, yeah. been doing your research, Jake. I did not Thanks, expect that. Yeah. Commitment, commitment to the podcast, <laughs> and also an excellently informative Wikipedia article. <laughs> Norman Conquest. Norman Conquest sounds like an absolute like, like someone who discovered one of the islands off the Caribbean or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah that was that was Norman Conquest. That did that. There you go. No, nice, it was, nice battle of Hastings tie-in as well, you know. So, yeah. 
Who is the guy who got absolutely whacked 17 nil by a English FA representative side? Okay, that's that is a that you know what that is? That's a funky name. That's a hashtag funky name. (laughs) And I think with that, we should wrap up the show there. Uh, Thanks, guys, for coming on again. Awesome as ever. We focused a little bit more on the European competition this week, talking about games including PSG, Lille, Lyon, Rennes and Saint-Étienne. Hopefully all those teams really crack on in their groups and eventually get to the next stage of their various competitions. Something I'd implore you to listen to this week was mentioned a little bit earlier by Thomas, and that is the Presence podcast. This first episode of this series, which is going to be talking to the big wigs of French football, the people at the top of the clubs. Christian Nuri interviewed Joe de Grosser, who is one of the higher up people, one of the, I believe the CEO at Bordeaux. He's an American, very interesting guy, very funny guy, and it's an interesting listen for all involved. Really, you get a good a good look into how Joe de Grosser is planning to take Bordeaux forward as an American in the league and market. Um, and more episodes will be coming out of that soon as Nuri gets in amongst other bigwigs of French football. But once again, thank you very much for listening. You can find more news about all things football and French at the website, which is getfootballnewsfrance.com and also going to the Twitter, which is at GFFN. I've been Lucian Parlin. I've been joined by Thomas Wiseman, Jake Smales and Adrian Drill. And thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Preview Show.